Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty uh, mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So this is the fourth week of our Lenten sermon series on repentance and grace. And we're only three weeks away from Easter now, so we're at the halfway point. It's a little bit scary. I don't know if I've mentioned this or not, but Lent is actually one of my favorite liturgical seasons of the year. Kind of weird, I know, it's true. But it's just so powerful when you see it as a time of preparation. See, the whole reason that we recognize Lent at all is so that we have an intentionally set-apart space in our year to reflect on the ways that we fall short, and clearly see the evidence of our need for salvation. It's self-reflection to the extreme, and it's always a powerful experience to humble yourself and admit your faults before the Lord. But it's also true that as Christians, we live in the aftermath of Easter, knowing fully that the reason for this solemn reflection is so that we can better appreciate and celebrate the grace of Jesus Christ. There's no inherent merit to dwelling on your sins because our faith is not about your sins. Instead, this kind of reflection is only good so far as it prepares us to hear the gospel more clearly. Though we gave him no reason to do so, though we did nothing to earn it, in fact did the opposite, Jesus died and was resurrected on our behalf so that we could rise with him into new life. As we've made our way through Lent and towards Easter, we're following the pattern 
laid out in this passage from Isaiah. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. The path that we're on takes us from a full focus on repentance, which enables us to trust in Christ, to a full focus on grace, which is so overwhelming and so powerful that we can barely begin to capture its magnitude. We're three weeks into this now. We're on the fourth now, and we're well on our way to Easter. As we forget the former things, as God's new work so completely overtakes the past, the old things that seemed so significant, so big, suddenly start to seem like less of a big deal. Maybe even start to seem like nothing at all. We can forget what's behind us, both the burden of sin and the desires of our hearts, because God has promised that He is doing something new in us. Paul focuses on this in Philippians 3 when he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. I want you to think back to earlier points in your life, the things that were important to you in younger days. Do you remember grade school, when your time was dominated by thoughts of homework, of the next big game or show or whatever your extracurricular was, of who liked who and who was mad at whom about what? Or maybe young adulthood when you were just getting established and barely making ends meet. If you've got kids, do you remember when they were born and how everything changes in an instant? Or if you're retired, how different it was to not have to think about work anymore? Different points in life have different priorities and different desires, and a lot of those old things can start to seem quaint and distant at best. Good for, little bit, good for little more than just a moment of nostalgia. But you can also look back at the dumb or dangerous things that you wanted, at recklessness or, or pursuit of pleasure, and wonder how you are even the same person that you were back then. And think about how your priorities change when you come to know Jesus. It's the same as when you enter any of those other new stages of life. Things that were so important before all fall behind what we're called to in Christ so that they're no more important to us now than that grade school drama of old. Success, status, and wealth. We see that when placed against Christ, none of these things can stand on their own because they all come to an end. When your time frame shifts from the temporary to the eternal, the fleeting things of this world pale in comparison to the permanence of God's gifts through Christ. But moreover, our desires themselves are changed as God works within us. He's doing something new after all, so what good are the things of old? When Paul says that everything once counted as gain is now counted as loss, he means any priorities that are not rooted in the love of God. Success, status, and wealth, for example, can all be used to the glory of God, but they can't themselves be the goals. If you don't know Christ as Lord, nothing else matters. Nothing else can save you. 
But if you do know Christ as your Lord, if you can rest in the blessed assurance of His salvation, then you'll know that it's of what Paul calls surpassing worth. This happens in two ways, both of which significantly impact how we live our lives. First is we walk with the Lord, and as His Holy Spirit works to make us perfect in love, we are changed completely. Old translations of the book of Hebrews say we are saved to the uttermost. That encompasses more than just excusing us from the consequences of our sins. I know that a lot of us here are gardeners, or that we like to take care of our lawns, or maybe that we have to take care of our lawns. So imagine that you've got this weed that's growing and it really starts to bother you. What happens if you just mow over it or if you just cut it down to the ground? It comes back. They always come back. And they continue coming back until you dig out the root. Because as long as there's some part left, the weed can and will return. Well, being made perfect in love is exactly the same. We can't just be excused from the consequences of our sins. That weed can't just be mowed down to the ground because that doesn't get to the root of it. No, when God sanctifies us, when He makes us holy, it's a process by which the whole root of sin is torn out completely so that it has no power whatsoever left to return. And in order to get to the root of a broken person, of a fallen person, God has to change their very desires. This is more than just another phase of life. It's a new life altogether where it's possible to be freed from sins and temptations and yes, even the fallen desires that held you captive before. It's not something you achieve by means of force or even by means of discipline. But because as you learn to trust in Christ, you learn to desire Him more and more as well. And that new desire for Christ supplants all other former lesser desires. So we see that the surpassing worth in Jesus is in how we desire Him and how that desire takes primacy over all other things. Everything else we could want, after all, is worthless compared to what He offers. But we also see the surpassing worth of Jesus when we compare His actions to the things that we can do. Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Compared to the righteousness of Christ, nothing we could ever do is worth anything. In fact, Paul goes so far is to say the only righteous thing that we can do on our own is to have faith. And that it's only by faith that anything else we ever could do is righteous. We saw earlier that no goal is worth chasing unless it's meant to serve God's kingdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that even spiritual gifts and practices, even things like speaking in the tongues of angels or prophesying or giving all that you have to the poor, they're all pointless if not predicated on the divine love of Jesus Christ. So I'll say it again, any value in our actions comes from their being rooted in Christ. So without Him, we can't do anything good at all. 
And if that's true, then how could we ever compare our own actions to His? But God is doing a new thing in us, and He is sustaining us as He works. We've talked for weeks now about where we're coming from, about God's power to lift us up regardless of how far we've fallen. But it's not a simple thing to be lifted up. It's not an easy thing to live that new life. Living as people of resurrection in a world that's still enslaved by sin is hard, and it can be lonely or disheartening. There are times when the hope of God becomes hard to see, like when someone that you dearly love dies, or when you see tragedy befall good people. There are times when faith doesn't come easily, when depression or malaise or uh, disappointment overwhelm you, or when the world is especially critical of your trust in God. Yet God sustains us through everything, through all of that, like a stream flowing through the wilderness. When we struggle, we know that God is with us. And when when trials come, we know that even if we can be overcome, God never can. He brings hope to the hopeless, love to the loveless, direction to the lost, and freedom to the captives. When we have that deep spiritual hunger, Jesus promises that He gives us a supper of true food. And when we have that spiritual thirst, He is our source of living water. And it's not just external forces that God firms us against either, but the internal ones as well. We know that nothing we do on our own can be counted as righteous. And that can be a harsh belief as you come to terms with it. But remember that our actions don't actually stand on their own. Our actions aren't the main feature of this story, after all, just as your sin isn't the main feature of this story. Instead, remember that as we go, as we do our Christian work, we do have Christ with us. And so there is righteousness to be found there. It's the righteousness of Christ. And it's not only the actions that we do in Christ, but our whole selves. We are counted as righteous because of Him. Thanks be to God. Internal and external, everything can be redeemed through Christ. No matter how dry or how empty the wilderness, no matter how barren the season of life might seem, no matter how difficult life becomes, remember that God can work through any trial to bring redemption to the world. Even the worst situations like tragic losses or disasters are not enough. They're not enough to overcome God's ability and desire to work. Remember, God is doing something new. It's something which encompasses every corner of the world and which is available to every single person. And it can spring up in seemingly impossible places too. I'll tell you a story. I met a man in Memphis one year while I was on a mission trip. And he was a part of the organization that was hosting us. Well, he shared some of his story with us uh, innocent high school children. And it, it shocked us. It was stunning what he had to say. He had driven in from out of town to buy drugs in the city while the rest of his family thought he was just on a business trip. And while he was there, his car had gotten stolen. Well, too ashamed of himself to call his family members for help yet again, he ended up stranded and living on the streets where he continued to spend any money that he could get 
sustaining his drug habit. After a while of that, he met someone who worked for this mission organization that we were participating in now, and he ended up with the opportunity to do some work for them, just basic day labor kinds of, uh, kinds of things. Well, over time, they reached the point where on the condition that he s- could stay clean, he could have regular work with them. He did it for a time, not really buying into the message, but appreciating the opportunity to maybe get back on his feet until he got the assignment to start driving construction materials to the work sites where people were fixing up houses in this poor neighborhood. And when he did that, he had the opportunity to meet the people who were working and the homeowners who were being served. He told us, us high school kids, that talking to them and seeing the work that people were doing because of their faith changed his life. The more he talked to them, both the workers and the homeowners, the more deeply convicted he felt until finally he found himself trusting in Jesus. He went from homeless addict to knowing true hope and joy, all because he met a missionary on the street. When us kids were talking to him, He'd been sober for over a decade, and he'd become the director of this mission organization. God had done a new thing in his life, and he told us that God was doing new things in his life every single day still. This is a hard journey, one which we couldn't do except by the grace of God, but it is so worth it. Paul explains it like this, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We press on, no matter the trial, because God has called us heavenward towards a great prize. We press on towards Christ because through Him, God has given us the gift of new life, of new chances and new hope, and there's nothing better that we could ever hope to find. And as God works in us, the thing we need to remember is the reason why He's doing this new thing. Isaiah says, The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. God is working, reforming us as His people so that we can proclaim His praise, not for His benefit, but for ours. God doesn't need our praise, but He wants us to be renewed into a people who can rejoice in His presence, who can enjoy perfection and perfect happiness, who can be in full and proper relationship with Him. So as you go about the rest of your day, your week, and even the rest of Lent, go knowing that God is doing something new in you. He's calling and drawing you closer to Him with each passing moment so that as you come to know Him more, you can rejoice in the knowledge that He is with you always, supporting you in even the worst of times. Amen.